Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tats Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Carson Combs. He's the founder of zenbuild.com. Carson, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely, man. Pleasure to talk to you today. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to to learning about your background because I think before we got on the air, you characterized yourself as a brick nerd. So tell me about that. Yeah, so um, I've been in the uh, brick industry since 2004. And I'd started with a uh, small family business and I was doing uh, counter sales. And then within six months, the gentleman that owned the company was like, I think you need to be our commercial salesperson. And so gave me a, uh, a credit card and said, go meet architects, developers, subcontractors, GCs, and start learning the industry. And so the team that was at that location, we built it up to a very nice family business. And it was bought by a mid-sized company. Back in 2006, 2007, you know, right when the economy was was rocking and rolling. Nice. That uh, company that bought us had just built a $70 million brick plant to supply residential homes. And of course, 07, 08 happened. They held on for a couple years and then were acquired by uh, Acme Brick based out of Texas, which is owned by Berkshire Hathaway. And when that happened, I... I'd always had the entrepreneurial bug. My wife's family's all entrepreneurs. And my grandmother, God bless her, is, is since gone from this earth. But she owned a grocery store. And I was scared to death to start my first company. And I remember talking to her and she said, honey, you know, the worst thing that can happen is you fail. You know, the people you're working with would probably hire you back, you know, so give it a shot. And I think um, just in retrospect and in, in talking with you, you know, another entrepreneur and a lot of my friends, because we all kind of have similar battles you know, and successes and, and trials, I've found out that a lot of times, you know, borrowed confidence can take you over the gap that you're scared to jump. I try to do that with my friends as they start businesses. They're facing their challenges um, outside of what we do daily. It's just something I really try to to give back to other people that have dreams and visions and are, you know, willing to take the risk because a lot of people aren't. Sure. I mean, when, when, when you're not on the tightrope or in the, in the arena, particularly when you're trying to assess information, it's easier to give level-headed advice when you're not staring the uh, the problem in the face. Right. Right. Or going, holy shit, how do I pay my mortgage? <laughs> what do we do now? And so that was in 2011, 2012, when that last acquisition started. I had left the company at that point and two companies prior that first one I started with, when they sold, I'd signed a non-compete contract. And so that non-compete contract, you know, we never really re-signed with the new entity. And so I went to them and said, Hey, I want to start my own business here in Tennessee doing commercial and do it on my own. I'd be happy to work with you guys on your products, but I just don't want to be employee 3066. They saw it different. And so Mark Mitchell, who's a common friend of ours, has heard this story, but we sold our home. We sold... Uh, my kids actually were like, are we going to sell our toys? We, we had built a beautiful home and sold it, moved into a small condominium complex. Funny story about a full truckload of bricks showing up into this retirement community. 
we were under 40 <laughs> with kids and tons of samples in our garage. The non-compete, I had to kind of sit out for a little bit, but we were successful. It took us about six months. A local chancery court said, you know, he can start his own business. There's no confidential information, IP. And so we started our first company, which is Liberty Brick. And it's a uh, brick and stone distribution business here in Chattanooga that just caters to commercial. Rocking and rolling, you know, almost nine months in, you know, had done about our first million bucks. And the company that had bought that I went to court with got an appellate court date set. So they took me back to court. And the appellate court decided that the non-compete was enforceable. And so we had sold the house. We had taken our bet, man, right? And we're like, we're going to go, you know, conquer the world or conquer, you know, our city. And just got kicked in the face. I mean, just boom. I remember when the attorney called me. And so had two options, could keep going. And we didn't have unlimited resources. Or we could kind of just go, all right, we'll take our licks and pivot and figure out what to do. So the month after that happened, it was in October, I started looking online. I'm like, you know, there's nobody in our industry that's online. And the radius I was enforced to stay out of was about 150 miles. And my kids were eight and six at the time. And my wife wasn't working. So we were like, how do I stay in this industry that I've learned a lot about and I enjoy and stay in compliance? Well, I don't have to get in my car and drive 150 miles. I can get on the computer. And something really cool about uh, our city, based in Chattanooga, Tennessee, is back then, uh, EPB in the city did a co-op to provide gig speed for residents in the city. And so our internet speed here in Chattanooga was one of the fastest at the time in the Northern Hemisphere, which great for a tech company, right? Fast internet and uh, your system can run much quicker than uh, dial-up out the country. And so we... um started looking and put some products up on a little website we built with, I think it was maybe Weebly or Shopify or something at the time. And we had our first sale was a guy up in Louisville, Kentucky. And he bought some brick for a like backstop for his kid's little league field. And he was like, man, he was like, I'm glad I found you guys. The closest physical distributor to us was about 80 miles from where I'm at. Mm. And I called, nobody called me back. You know, I drove over there, didn't see anything I liked, told them where my job was at. And they're like, well, we really don't service that area. And if we did, it's, you know, going to cost you, you know, to ship it. And so we started what is now Zen Build, you know, through that process. And our model is, is pretty simple in that we've developed the brand and a platform. And we take our manufacturing partners and their product we have live inventory in our system that anyone from a homeowner to a large-scale multifamily customer you know, can purchase, and we ship directly from the plant to the job site. And so we do a lot of things. You know, if you kind of look at it from a you know, carbon footprint standpoint, we're using way less fuel to move product around. We have less breakage because traditionally, a product is made at a plant, delivered on a truck to a local distribution center offloaded, then eventually unloaded onto another truck and taken to a job site. And so each of those times you touch product, you know, there's costs associated. And by direct shipping it, you know, we're able to, you know, deliver, you know, great material. It's been around for 10,000 plus years in quicker time frame and at a competitive price. But the industry 
didn't like it. Yeah. Right. Surprise, surprise. The, <laughs> the industry was like, oh, hell no. You know, we've got little monopolies of distributors. And so when we first started building the platform, we thought, okay, you know, gosh, that's a big mountain to climb, you know, convincing the industry that we can bypass this distribution network that's been the same way for 100 years through the internet. And so our reasoning was, well, let's just build an e-commerce platform and maybe we could license it to the physical distributors across the country. And so we went to task. We did that. We raised some capital. I'd put in a bunch myself and spent lots of hours along with my wife and our team members. And we flew to New York. We went to Ohio. We met with some of the large distributors in the country. And they're like, that's a stupid ass idea. Nobody's going to buy product online. They want to come to our showroom, you know, or they want a salesperson, you know, to come out and spend time with them. They're not go back to doing what you're doing. And from a lot of the guys that I've talked to in the industry, they were people I respected. You know, some were mentors and some were people I really looked up to that have been successful. And that feedback was hard to hear, man. Mm. You know, it's not going to work. You know what you're talking about. And so we came back and we whiteboarded and we're like, well, we've built this. And we thought about using it for all these distributors. We can use it ourselves. And we already have customers, which is the most important part for a business. And we launched in 2019, uh, rebranded, launched the new what's now zenbuild.com. And what we found was the customers were there. And the customers have continued to grow. And today, if you think about a physical store, Tats, um, mm -hmm. you know, it may have anywhere from you know, 10 to 20 people come in, you know, the store from kind of nine to four, you know, we've got thousands of people every day, new shoppers every day. And that edified, you know, kind of the idea of, Hey, e-commerce and this material, you know, will work together. And we still face resistance. A lot of the manufacturers in our industry, it's kind of crazy. Some of their product line, they're okay with selling online and, and some of them, they aren't. And Mark and I went on a tirade about it one time. He was like, why would you be in a manufacturing industry where you wouldn't want to sell everything you make? And uh, I'm like, there's a lot of things that don't make sense in construction, you know, as a whole, but it's the way we've always done it. And I think yourself, you know, and others in the industry, along with, with me and my team, really see that transparency, speed, and everybody says they're good at customer service, but when you have a customer that calls you up after everything has, has been done on the project and goes, I talked to a live person, you guys were responsive, you know, you took care of me, you know, that's a KPI for, for us. You know, what do we hear from our customers? Because the customers are your, you know, your biggest evangelists to other people. And so from, from homeowners to uh, contractors, I think we've got a bunch of evangelists out there and we hope to continue to grow that. Yeah, for sure. Lots of things to, to, uh, to focus on there. You've done, you know, many different things with this. You touched on different skill sets. I mean, when people come to you and say, Hey, look, you know, I like what you've done. You know, what do I need to know? Like as an entrepreneur, especially in the building materials or construction space, like what sort of things do you, you tell them actually have a uh, a group that is developing a, a payment solution right now and two founders i think one's maybe palo alto one was new york and i talked to them just last month and they're like you know 
here's what we're trying to fix. You know, what do you think? And I'm like, I think it's a great idea. You know, two things I'd tell you to double the time you think it's going to take to achieve what you want to achieve. And I was like, double what you think it's going to cost and be willing to embrace that and know that, you know, you're not going to, you know, be in, be in the green, you know, when you start and it takes way more time than what you think. But if you, you really have not just a passion, but a vision, surround yourself with as many people in and outside your industry that understand and can help you look for the pitfalls. Cause there's tons of pitfalls in starting a business worrying about how to set up the LLC or S corp or the logo while they seem like they're the, the biggest you know, time suck. <laughs> like the logo has got to be, I have a, a buddy that opened a, his own construction company. He was working for a GC that was close to about a billion dollars a year GC. And he had the entrepreneurial bug. And I remember getting a beer with him and he was like, I've got all these names. And he had spent, you know, damn near 40 hours on his logo. And I'm like, man, that's great. And I was like, have you got your EIN number? You know, have you met with the attorney and actually, you know, set stuff up? He's like, no, I really want the look. Mike, as a contractor, I was like, is a logo going to be what gets your business development? He's like, well, no. I was like, is it the customers? He's like, yeah. I'm like, that's the most important person in this equation after you get kind of the A, B, and C set up. So I think I would tell um, any entrepreneur, especially in the construction materials, to one, don't be worried about what people that aren't in the arena say. Also be able to be in reality at all cost, which is scary. And take criticism objectively and know that there might be some truths, you know, in the criticism that actually could help you and could compress the time it's going to take for you to learn the lesson to take, you know, your company and your team to the next level. Yeah, for sure. In, in terms of, you know, brick, you know, it's been a, around a long time. I mean, with online, sometimes you're not as close to the customer. I mean, is that, has that been a challenge in any situation? Is installation pretty straightforward with all the products that you uh, flow through there? Yeah. And, you know, I, I kind of touched on earlier how some of our manufacturers on some of their SKUs, yeah. you know, they're, they're standoffish on the full bed depth brick, which is what you use, you know, for your structural, it's a veneer. Yeah. The manufacturers, uh, a majority of them are still kind of like, we just want that to run through our local guys. And yeah. so while we have, have some that do that, we're fine, but the largest amount of product that we move through and we've shipped to all 48 states, we've done that this year, we've done it last year, our growth yeah. has been phenomenal. The majority of what we're selling to those you know, customers or contractors are thin brick and thin stone. And because of that, we've built minimum quantities, transparent pricing, and easy to you know order e-commerce along with having sales support to help them walk through what they need on installation and everything else. Yeah. And is that sales support coordinated with the manufacturer or do you have your own sales team as well to augment that? Yeah, no, we have our own sales team. And and what what's really interesting is, you know, in construction materials, and you probably have some feedback on this too, you know, the company be it a, you know, a brand like us or a, a physical distributor, the customer tends to think of you as the manufacturer. And so we had a customer this week that was out in, I believe, Colorado, Denver, and she had sent a message in on some question on the product. And we're like, okay, you know, we didn't 
we had her register on the site, but she hadn't purchased anything from us. Well, she had bought something from a local store, right? But she thought we were the manufacturer. And so, of course, our, our guys are like, yeah, this is how you install it. You know, please send pictures when you're done. If you have any questions, let us know. I think the ability to be able to help customers, whether or not they purchase from you, is also pretty valuable. I mean, you want to drive your revenue. But in terms of challenges, we've made a, a handful of mistakes. We've shipped wrong material, you know, or wrong materials picked up. And, you know, that's just lumps you take and you call the customer and you tell them, say, look, we messed up you know, we'll get that picked up and turn around and sent to you. But for the most part, you know, I would say the customer side, and I wish I had one of one or two of them on here with us, you know, it has been easy, saved them time. And, you know, it's put more money back in their pocket for, you know, other projects that they want to do. Yeah. You're talking about the customer, you know, thinks you're the manufacturer, you're the brand and the shipper, right? Like you work with third parties, but you know, if, if your business is e-commerce, you're relying on a lot of the shipping companies and that's, you know, that must be a source of headache management. <laughs> what, do you, what do you want to call it? <laughs> yeah, no, we have, um, so our logistics coordinator is someone that I've known for 20 years and he had worked with me at the, uh, uh, initial company. And then he went on to work with uh, the guys, uh, a company that was a 3PL called Access America here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and stayed with them. They were acquired eventually uh, at the end by UPS. But his understanding of shipping was key in us building, you know, not only our software and putting in our quantities and, and negotiating rates. It is paramount today as people shop online and, and buy product without even talking to us. But shipping is a, a massive component. You're right. Yeah, customers, they think we're RNL or Estes or UPS or FedEx. And you've got the automated email, thank you for the order, you know, three, you know, PLs or, you know, a haul or we bring your material, you get notified 24 hours before. That has actually not been as difficult as what you might think. Because, you know, everything in your office and everything in my office came on a truck. And so you know, fits on a pallet, you know, and as long as the pickup and the you know destination origin are correct on the BOL, you know, things tend to run pretty smoothly. But, you know, those key partners, you know, have also been instrumental in our success. And as we've grown, you know, they've come in and, and they see that growth and go, gosh, we want to do more with you. And as an entrepreneur, you've got to ask for help. And so in shipping relationships, we go, Hey, we'd love to get our rates a little bit better. You know, we're not Amazon, but you know, we're growing and you've seen our growth and most people want to help you. Um, and something else, you know, for entrepreneurs or even salespeople or just people in business, a gentleman by the name of Tom Meredith used to be CFO for Dell computers. And I've had the privilege to get to know Tom and really interesting guy. He told me on a phone call one night that a bad partner is a bad deal and a good partner is a good deal. And I think that rings true, you know, for us in the construction side, even more because we've got a lot of people out there that we'd like to work with. I think all of us do, but a bad partner is a bad deal. And it just, it rings true. People that want to support you and see you be successful, you know, are the people that you definitely want on your team you know, as you grow a business or, you know, try to scale your vision, you know, for what you're changing in the close to what $2 trillion construction U.S. 
industry. Construction materials are close to, I think, about $300 billion a year in the U.S. And so there's a lot of opportunity to make things better through technology. But it's going to take you know guys like you, Tats, and a, a lot of other of, us, other of us that go, gosh, this will be done so much easier and better. And the experience could be something that you enjoy, hence the name Zen, instead of, yeah, brickstone.com. You know, we really <laughs> thought, <laughs> we didn't think much about the logo, but the name was important because Zen is something that is not at all tied to construction. And so I think providing that experience for our customers is, is good and has led to um, some really cool relationships outside of, you know, just selling material I've got to meet uh, and work with. Uh, there's a really cool women's clothing brand called Rosen Remington. They're based out of Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, it's the Alexander family and they have a national expansion plan. And the son, Nate, had come in off of a Google shopping ad and they were trying to get furnishes and stuff for their, their uh, store um, and was able to connect with him through one of my sales guys and started talking to him. And he was like, man, this is really cool. He was like, we would try to find local and we'd get the same product, but it would be 30 to 60% higher in different locations. He's like, you guys ship nationwide. And it's another you know, interesting part of your entrepreneurial journey as you meet people that are trying to build and scale businesses. We all want to help each other because rising tides, you know, bring all boats up. And I think being aware of that and kind of feeding into that and being willing to help people, I think takes you so much further than just going, I'm not going to talk about how I do what I do, because I think you'll steal it. I think that is so (laughs) short-sighted. It's so short-sighted. Sure. I mean, if you share, I mean, you help, but also it, you know, you got to keep learning, right? You can't hold on to stuff. So no, that's very nice. So do you think the traditional distribution network is starting to kind of fade away eventually? Is it all going to be sort of online supported through sort of personnel on the ground? Yeah, great question. Great question. I think uh, COVID definitely accelerated, you know, as it has with a lot of industries on digitization. The industry as a whole, the physical distribution yards, I think, you know, some of them will always be around. But if you look at the age of the population that's in the distribution network, most of those guys are, you know, closer to retirement than they are the beginning of their career. And so consolidation in our industry over the last three years has been pretty substantial. When we first built the platform, we built library of all the manufacturers, all the SKUs, all the sizes, close to 17,000 products. And there was a little over, I think, 103 or 104 brick manufacturers. You know, today that number is closer to 50. And then on the distribution side, some of those locations have been bought by manufacturers. And then you've had consolidations. And so I, I see really what will the customer expect? Well, the customer expects to be able to have pricing, not a gatekeeper. They believe they should have choices. They should be able to do that from their home, their mobile phone and not have to be confined to driving to a bad part of town, you know, Monday through Friday, not open on Saturday or Sunday. And so, you know, in my opinion, our platform and what we've built is absolutely, you know, the prime disruptor for distribution in the country. You know, I see that distribution will probably always be there to some extent. I think the manufacturers are tending to go more direct too. And I think 
what would be healthy for, you know, the whole industry is our industry doesn't have any type of MSRP where, you know, this is the price. And so from a homeowner to a home builder, to a large scale contractor developer, it's all different pricing. And so there's a lot of lack of trust, you know, between the customer, you know, to the distributor. And what we do at Zenbuild is we put the price up there, you know, here's what it is and let the customer make the decision because customers have a thing called Google and YouTube and, you know, they can do all their research. They don't necessarily need someone, you know, to help them, but if they do, you know, we have that as well. And so, so that's a long way of saying tats. I think that, you know, distribution will, you know, always be around, but in kind of a shadow of what it was, you know, in the eighties, nineties and early two thousands. Yeah. And as you're talking, you touched on another thing, which is what will stop or not stop, but like you said, uh, manufacturers are starting to go more direct, right? You know, is there a movement or incentive for them to develop their own platforms to, to, to deal with that directly or, or what's the ongoing value proposition that people keep coming to you? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. And so it's funny because our, our larger manufacturers in the industry, you know, their heads of marketing and, and VPs have come to our office or been on a zoom or phone call with me. They are really driven by, if you break it down to what it elementally is, it's fear. And so if they were to go ahead and create an e-commerce platform and sell direct, they're fearful that that distribution network would shy away from them because that's the way it's always been done. And, you know, in that way that it's always been done is the opportunity, you know, of our platform and what we've done on top of that, our manufacturing partners that work with us are shipping product thousands of miles away from where they would normally sell it. And so, you know, when you've got a manufacturer in California that predominantly handles on the West coast, seeing their products move into Chicago, New York, Texas, Florida, they're like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And I'm like, you know, it's the customer, you know, we've made it easy and the customer has desires for these products that they wouldn't see. Because in those local showrooms, they're going to show you these three products and make a decision between these three. They're not going to really kind of show you the wealth of, of what our beautiful products can do. And I believe that manufacturers may eventually, you know, ease into it, but they're all kind of centric to their own plant. And so, you know, a lot of them are just kind of scared of it because they go, well, how are we going to handle shipping? Right. That's a great question you asked. Yeah. How are we going to handle, you know, getting customer samples? You know, what if they need a little bit more? I think all those things are opportunities. And we've got an MBA in how not to do it and how to do it, you know, over the last several years. Yeah. Interesting point you brought up on, on samples. How, how do you qu qualify people or how do you handle samples when they come in? Yeah. Yeah. Initially, what we were doing when we launched is we were just sending samples out. Boom, boom, boom. And it was great, you know, and sales were coming in off of it. But the problem was, is in our industry, manufacturers pay to ship the sample and they typically send it to, you know, a physical store or maybe to an architect. And their sample department looks like, remember office space, all the paperwork they had to do the reports. That's what the samples department look like. And so they didn't really prioritize samples. They would get them out, you know, as they come in. 
And so what we did is we went back and said, instead of just sending samples out for free, we're going to charge $15, you know, for a sample, we're going to go to our manufacturing partners and send them a UPS label. So Zenbuild is going to pay for you to ship your sample to one of the Zenbuild customers. And at first that was kind of like, well, you guys are going to pay to ship it. Well, we always pay to ship it. We're like, well, we're going to pay to ship it. And here's the caveat. All those samples that don't get out for two to three weeks and customers are trying to make fine decisions in a matter of days, our samples are going to get out the same day or the next day. Mm. We will pay for shipping. And I mean, that's a, a great, you know, I don't think about it now, man, because we're several years in, but that was created out of necessity. You know, a customer had ordered a sample from us. We had one and it took nearly a month to get them a sample. You know, and it was maybe a, a couple thousand dollar order, but we delayed that buying decision, which meant they could have gone, you know, and looked at a different product category, you know, just gone away. And before like, just coming to you and then, so it was kind of a two-step process and you just essentially just eliminated the step by sending them the label. Yeah. Manufacturer gets the label, goes out the door that day or the next day, customer gets sample, you know, typically in about three to five business days, depending on where they're at in the country. Yeah. They get an email, your sample is delivered, and then they're, you know, getting a text. Hey, did you like this? You know, we run all that through the platform. And so it's communication, first off, which is important in not only business selling and relationships, but it's important in building trust, you know, and, and getting people go going, hey, why would we not do this? This was extremely easy. Uh, we did the illustration. Have you ordered Domino's Pizza? Uh, I I have not um, okay Domino's but but I know there's an app and stuff and there's a workflow. Yeah, they have you order your pizza. We do pizzas hopefully on Friday nights once a week because we're up working out every morning to burn it off. But yeah, yeah. they had uh, uh, it was so cool. We saw it and that's kind of what whiteboarded the idea on on the samples where it said your order's in, being prepared. It's in the oven. It's out for delivery. You know, and I think Amazon has done an amazing job of getting customers information in a way that's digestible, but it also makes them think that everything else is on demand. And in construction, things are not on demand. And so by us getting samples changed and streamlined, customers get a tracking number. They can track their sample. It's being prepared. It's in the oven. It's out for delivery. And then they're expecting it instead of going, okay, I ordered this. I'm going to have to call, you know, this physical store, you know, two or three times, email, stop by, follow up to try to get something as simple as a sample, which shouldn't be that difficult. And so that was very successful and customers love it. You know, it's great because sometimes the customer will get the sample and go ahead and order the product before we've even gotten them into the follow-up pipeline. It's amazing, you know, all across the country, you know, how many customers there are not just for our, our materials, but for other materials that go, why can't I buy online? What do you mean? I got to drive to a shitty part of town, you know, and take a day off. I think the industry is recognizing that. I think your thought leaders, you know, in mid-sized to larger companies, as they're bringing in younger, younger blood to eventually take over the C-level positions, I think they're starting to hear that and go, you know, I buy my groceries online. You know, I buy my golf clubs. I buy a lot of my stuff online. Why not our products? Yeah. Why do we not make it easier? And I think, you know, that in 
in itself, you know, has been driven because of what happened during the pandemic. But now with not only the amount of orders we're doing, but then other guys in e-commerce space and construction materials, and there's a lot of people taking notice. And I think that's great because ultimately that's a win for our industry as a whole. Make it easier, make it transparent, you know, and provide service that you'd want someone to take care of your grandma. I think about my grandma in that grocery store and how she knew everybody's name when they would come in. And, you know, while we have thousands a day, I don't know everybody's name, but, you know, I want to make, make sure that we give them an experience. They feel, you know, that it's personal to their project. Perfect. I love it. Is there anything that I didn't ask you, but you wanted to share on the way out? No, tell me, I, I like to ask this to a lot of my other buddies that are, you know, entrepreneurs, both in this industry and others. What is your favorite book? Wow. Good question. I mean, I it think it could, could be business. It could yeah. be. I, I think, I mean, the first book that really kind of like punched me in the face and made me realize that, you know, I have lots of opportunities is I forgot what it was exactly called. Something along the lines of it's not how good you are it's how good you want to be or something or it was by the world's greatest advertiser i forgot the exact name but that was like it's this really funny strange small book that mm. you know had illustrations in it and it it just just pointed out that you know it's more about wanting the goal mm. versus like looking at your skill set and capabilities but just kind of like driving for it right instead of just sort of limiting yourself and i think that's kind of one of the first things where i i looked at and said hey there's there's no rules here in terms of you know what you can make out of something and um you know sort of allowed myself to just you know go out there and, and find ways to surround myself with really smart people and and learn from that so good question i'm trying to remember the exact title but might put that in the uh comments or something yeah, you follow up. I think that's a, a good one um, because, you know, there's so much knowledge out there and we're in an age now where everything is at our fingertips. I have a 16 and 14 year old um, and my son was trying to figure out something the other day and I was like, YouTube it, you know, yeah. and that, that, that information wasn't available, you know, when I was a kid. Uh-huh. And I think that downloading the knowledge, whether it's from a podcast, you know, from a book, I always think that's a, a great question because we all have palms, books, mentors, something that really kind of drove us yeah. into it. I, but, I think that's a great flip one. flip the question just from, you know, my sort of content creation podcasting yeah. side. And I, th- I think back to all the different guests I had. And I thought the first one where I really thought, wow, you know, um, this is really well put together. Even, you know, at that time, I think marketing for about 18 or you know close to 20 years. And I, I interviewed a, a guest named April Dumford. And she, her topic is on positioning and the way she delivered it with humor and, you know, her credentials, you know, she's, yeah. she's grown a few things from like almost nothing to, to 2 billion. And wow. just the way that she sort of presented the material is just spot on. So, I mean, I, I kind of came out of that episode changed. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, you know, those are the things I really remember. Like, it's not necessarily books for me, but it's just those experiences where you're hearing it from the person directly. Like, you may have read that book, but then, you know, the opportunity to ask further questions or hear it from them directly, I think it really, like, sinks in. Like, so yeah. that's been the benefit of, you know, doing this. So I'm going to check that one out. 
<laughs> that interview, Perfect. that's pretty cool, Tats. But no, I, I appreciate you uh, having me on and contact info at zenbuild.com. You can find us there. And if uh, any of your uh, listeners or fellow entrepreneurs would love to reach out, you know, like I said, I like, you know, I like to give back. I think that's helpful for everyone and look forward to what the construction industry is going to look like, you know, the next five, 10 and 50 years. It's going to be a lot different, you know, than what it was 10 years ago. So awesome. happy to be a part of that. And glad you are too. Yeah. Thank you, Carson. Thank you for listening to the Specified Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Tats Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.